Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sipping Soup, the show hosted by your least favorite person featuring your most favorite people. Today, instead of featuring other guests, we're going to be featuring the shows on my Netflix recently watched list. That's right, ladies and gents. Today, I'm going to be rating all the shows I've ended up watching this quarantine and telling you the honest truth on if they were worth the watch. But before we get into today's episode, I want to talk a little bit about the future of the podcast. The podcast is definitely going to continue after quarantine, and I plan on starting a second season in the fall to separate my sophomore and junior years. However, in the second season, I'm planning on having a permanent snack break to use as an opening and ending for the show. Also, I'm going to need a lot of material for this next year, so I'd love to know if anyone has any interview or topic ideas. Oh, yeah, and we now have a new microphone to work with for the show, and it's being used for this episode right now. Um, It's definitely bigger and has really good sound quality, and it's a definite upgrade from my little mini microphone. Only cost me like 20 bucks too, because a girl's got a ball on a budget. So let's hear the snack break for today and get right into the show. Alright guys, and welcome back to the show. Today's snack break ties into the theme of today's episode, which is movies and shows that I recently watched on Netflix. As I'm sure you're all aware of, we've been in quarantine, social distancing, or whatever you want to call it, for months now. And the longer this drags on, the harder it gets to find good forms of entertainment. Most of us turn to Netflix, partly because modern TV shows aren't that great, We don't want to listen to the news, and Netflix gives us better deals than other companies like Hulu and Disney+. Netflix offers a lot of content on their streaming service, but are most of their selections worth the stream? Netflix has been pumping out a lot of original series lately. Some shows have come back to the site, and new content has recently joined. The selection that's there is pretty decent for the stuff my family's into, but I often find it difficult to try and find a new show after finishing one. Uh, sometimes the recommendations offered are for shows I'd never dream of watching in my most desperate hours, like Riverdale and Outer Banks. So let's start this episode out with some of the better shows and movies that I watched over this coronation. Uh, starting out with everyone's favorite returning cartoon, Avatar The Last Airbender. When I was a kid, I didn't really watch Avatar all that much, to be honest. Um, I knew what it was, and I could recognize some of the characters like Aang, but I really missed the golden age of the show because I was really late to Nickelodeon. I was more of a PBS kid in the early years of my life. I really liked Word Girl and all that stuff. And I didn't really get into Nickelodeon until about 2010 to 2011. And Avatar was long gone by that time. Well, as a main show and premiering and stuff. So when it came back to Netflix for the second time, I had a lot of time to kill during the last week of online school. So Avatar became my go-to show. It has everything that you would want in a cartoon. It has a decent plot that didn't seem to drag on throughout its seasons, colorful animations that give you a clear picture of what's going on, a diverse and well-written cast with individual motives and personalities, good humor, and good underlying messages throughout all the episodes. Unlike other action TV shows where there's a lot of lore and things to keep track of when watching, you can easily understand everything that's happening in Avatar even if you might have zoned out during some episodes. 
However, the best part of the show by far was in its cast of characters. Watching it as a teen, I didn't really get the whole Zuko hype thing, but I mean, he's a great character with good motives, a mentor, and an awesome redemption arc at the end, but Sokka and Uncle Iroh take my pick for best guy. There were also really good female leads and side characters in the show, and I'm not talking about Katara. She got on my nerves the whole show. Toph and Suki were the best standout characters in the whole show, with Toph's straightforward personality and Suki's practical warrior skills. If I had watched Avatar as a child, I would definitely use these two characters as role models. Um, I really liked the fact that Avatar took a lot of inspiration from different Asian and Native American cultures when designing the show. I really enjoyed the martial arts inspirations that's seen in the fight scenes, the Chinese influences in the Earth Kingdom and Ba Sing Se, the Japanese influences with the Kyoshi Warriors, and the Tibetan monk influences on the Air Nomads, as well as the Mesoamerican references with the Sun Warrior tribe. In all, I give it a 10 out of 10, and it is a great show for both teens, kids, and adults. And if you've been living under a rock and don't know what Avatar is about, it's the story of this kid, the Avatar, who's supposed to become the master of all four elements, and during this time, the whole world is in turmoil over the Fire Nation attacking and taking over, which resembles Imperial Japan. And it's the story of how he's mastering all the elements, going to fight the Fire Lord, and meeting all these cool friends along the way. So next on my list is true story documentaries. So another thing I watched during quarantine was a documentary called First They Killed My Father. Yeah, I know it sounds dark already, but if you're interested in true story war documentaries, then this is the one for you. It follows the story of a little girl and her family living under the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia in the 1970s. It's super sad, and the second half of it is in Thai with subtitles, and it shows the sad story of how Cambodians killed a quarter of their own population following the Vietnam War. It shows that these kids were taken to camps and made into soldiers really young, and they did a lot of work for these people. And they were kind of brainwashed into thinking that it was for the good of their country, but it really wasn't, and it's really sad. It's really well done. My mom cried while watching it a lot, and I watched it whenever my neighborhood was having a really bad and sketchy power outage issue. It's great. I would suggest watching it with your families because my mom was just crying. She's like, I can't believe it. She sent her kids out to different directions. They might never see each other again. And it's just really sad, but it's really well done once again. So on a more lighter note, we're going to be comparing two movies that I've watched that reflects on teenage life. So other than the cartoon and true story categories, another big category on Netflix are teen movies and teen romance movies. Uh, the two main movies that I watch that fall under this category are The Half of It and P.S. I Still Love You, which is a continuation of the To All the Boys I've Loved Before movie. Uh, while many people have the opposite opinion as I do, The Half of It was a ton more entertaining and well-written than P.S. I Still Love You. The Half of It follows the story of an Asian girl, Ellie Chu, who gets paid to write essays for other people in school. One guy asks her to write a love letter to a girl named Astor Flores, who Ellie is also in love with. The story shows the friendships that form between Ellie and the guy she writes love letters for, Paul. It's a great teenage experience story to me because it doesn't focus on the fact that teenagers, especially girls, need romantic love to be happy, and that the love that you make with your friendships is a lot more special and meaningful. I give this an 8 out of 10 for good storytelling and cast, a great portrayal of the teenage experience, and good LGBTQ+, and Asian representation. In comparison, 
P.S. I Still Love You is its shallow counterpart. The movie follows some unpopular girl named Lara Jean, who is in a conflict after a guy she wrote a love letter to a long time ago comes back to town, and he still has a crush on her. The big problem is, oh no, Laura Jean has a boyfriend. A guy who originally agreed to pretend to be her boyfriend to get back at a jealous ex. Yikes, even the foundations of this relationship are kind of rocky and toxic. Sounds like a teenage Wattpad fanfiction. Oh, the story follows, uh, follows Lara Jean as she tries to figure out which boy she should go after. The shallow-minded lacrosse boy that she thinks still has a thing for his typical mean and popular ex-girlfriend, or the really nice boy who cares about her and has his priorities straight. Like, girl, you don't need to be chasing after a guy to be happy. I give it a 4 out of 10 for a typical story, the need for a girl to have a boyfriend to be happy, and a cast that seems diverse at surface level, but really isn't, once you look at it. So branching off from teen movies, the next category is teen TV shows. Uh, on a similar note, I also binge watched the TV show Never Have I Ever. I'll admit, the start to the show isn't so great, but if you get through the first two or three episodes, the show gets a lot more enjoyable. It follows the story of Devi, an Indian Hindu girl, as she tries to experience all of the typical high school things like drinking, partying, and hooking up with guys while trying to recover from her father's death. What is it with all these teen movies and one of their parents dying? Some movies like P.S. I Still Love You kind of use this trope for a main character flaw, which isn't really a character flaw, but shows like uh, Never Have I Ever use this trope to show real character development and how the main character learns to control their grief. And in the sense, I kind of like the use of this trope. Uh, the show is kind of funny and has some developed side plots. For example, how one of the main character's best friends is trying to come out as gay, her theater kid best friend dealing with a mother who has lied to her, an arch rival that has developed a strange relationship and respect for her, a cousin that wants to get out of an arranged marriage, a mother that's dealing with anger and grief, and a guy she once used to try and hook up with who has started to develop a deeper relationship and feelings for her. It's a lot to take in at surface level, but if you want a relatively decent show to watch and have a bit of a laugh with, this show would be great for you. Of course, there's a love triangle in it because it's a teenage TV show, but I'm not too mad about it. 6 out of 10. And the last grouping for today's episode includes family-based TV shows. The two shows that I have watched like this are Schitt's Creek, which is spelled S-C-H-I-T-T for my maturity rating, and Kim's Convenience, which are both shows that are produced in Canada, I think. Schitt's Creek follows the story of a family who lost all of their money except for a small town they bought as a joke called Schitt's Creek. While they originally wanted to fix up the town so they could sell it off for money, the family realizes that this new place is their home, and they have made so many friends along the way. The family includes the mother Moira, who is a C-list actress that is trying to stay relevant and maintain her not-so-interesting public image. Uh, she has a weird fake accent that's entertaining at times and is always super overdramatic. Then we have her husband and owner of the town, Johnny, who is an older guy that's unaware of the things going on around him because of how disconnected he grew from the world when he was rich. Then we have their son, David, who is the perfect character to love for the girls that wish they had a gay best friend in high school but were too mean to actually keep one. He has a weird monochrome outfit style going on, and he always has a bunch of roasts to dish out all the time. And then we have the final character of interest, who is Alexis, who is the typical pretty blonde girl that's ignorant of what's happening and has a perpetual interest in the town's hotties. It's a funny show and has a lot of seasons to watch on Netflix. 
I give it a 7 out of 10. And the last show that's on my list and the newest one I've picked up on is Kim's Convenience, a story about a Korean family in Toronto that runs a mini convenience store called Kim's Convenience. It has great Asian representation and is able to relate well to its Asian audience, as well as teens and parents who are having a hard time letting go of their kids. The main story is about the family growing stronger relationships with each other and mending the broken relationships of their past. The father character, Appa, is really headstrong and stubborn and doesn't often listen to what others say. The mom, Amma, really cares about what other people think and always wants the best for her kids, even if she shows it in a weird way. The daughter, Janet, is trying to move out from under her parents' wing and make it big as a photographer in art school. And then finally, we have their son, Jung, who has been disconnected from their family ever since he got kicked out as a teenager and now works at a car rental. It's a great story with interesting episodes, and the cold opens are really great. I'd give it a 9 out of 10. So that covers a lot of the things that I've been watching on Netflix's Quarantine. Once again, if you have any podcast episode suggestions or feedback, I'd love to hear it. I'm really happy with how the podcast has been perceived, and I'm really shocked with all the views we've gotten. As of June 19th, 2020, we have 424 starts, 276 full streams, 100 listeners, whoa, and 35 followers. I can't wait to see you all soon and in my next episodes. Hopefully next time on Sipping Soup, I'll be rating and explaining the different sides of TikTok, or I'll be interviewing my infamous grandma that ran her car through a brick column at Penair. That's it for today, everyone. This is Sipping Soup, signing off.